Xbox On. Welcome to Xbox On, a podcast with one host about one console, Xbox. I'm said host, Jesse DeRosa, and on today's episode, we'll be talking about the latest Xbox news for the week of July 8th, 2021, including, is Hideo Kojima working with Xbox? The next Assassin's Creed is going to do games as a service. Avalanche's CEO has shed some new information on the recently announced Xbox exclusive Contraband and more. Do you guys ever go to a specific McDonald's so often that you start to notice like the the trends and the patterns and how that store operates? So I live literally within spitting distance of a McDonald's and I don't go there every day, but you know, I've lived here over two years now. I've been here long enough to to say I've been to this McDonald's, you know, once or twice. And and I'll I'll, I'll say this. I've noticed there's a vast quality difference depending on if I go in the morning, in the afternoon, or in the evening. It's quite noticeable. I, this uh, this McDonald's is this McDonald's I live next to is a it's a B plus McDonald's in the morning. It is a C minus in the afternoon, and it is an A plus at night. And that's not just because like you're really hungry at night, so everything tastes better. It's just like everything from like getting your order right, like. If I ever order from this McDonald's between the hours of like 12 and 5 p.m., they're going to not give you any sauce with your nuggets. They're going to give you like literally, I'm not even making this up, half a slice of cheese on your fish, uh, your filet of fish, and they're just always going to give you cold fries. So like I know not to order from this McDonald's between like 12 and 5. It's just a bad idea. But if I go there late at night, if I go at like 8, 10 p.m., whatever, it's going to be some of the best McDonald's you're ever going to have. So Interesting thing I've noticed with this McDonald's. I wonder, have you ever felt a similar way? Now, aside from that, welcome to Xbox On. This is an Xbox-related podcast about all things Xbox, including McDonald's. Uh, I wanted to start this week's episode actually by saying a happy belated 4th of July to all of you U.S. listeners. I know 4th of July is one of those obnoxious uh, holidays for a lot of a lot of you out there because it's one of those days where you get on Twitter and you just got to watch a bunch of Americans talking about something that's very specifically American that doesn't pertain to you if you're not American. So my condolences to all of our friends listening from Australia and the UK and elsewhere because I, I look at the analytics sometimes on the show and I notice there's quite a few of you. In fact, about a quarter of the listenership of this podcast is from the UK. So sorry, guys, but... It's a big holiday here, and we just gotta, we just gotta say it. And in fact, you know, it, I make, I make a point every Fourth of July. Every time I say something about America, it just goes completely like, because no one, I, I'm young. I'm in my twenties. I'm at that age where like, everyone my age wants to shit on America or, or like not talk to you because it's the only popular opinion to have. But you know, I, I, I hate my government. I have many, 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 many criticisms of my country, our history, and all these things. But I also like my country. There's a lot of great things about it. There are a lot of things that the world has benefited from because they were just so authentically and uniquely American. So there's there's good and bad, but I feel like 4th of July is one of those days where you're just supposed to kind of lie to yourselves, y- yourself and just be like, you know what? Let's somehow just not focus on the bad, even though there's tons of it. And just, you know, it's a fun day. It's not it's not really so much about the government and our country and more about just the people, right? It's, you know, it's, it's not a day about celebrating American democracy or capitalism. It's about celebrating American people 
doing what the fuck they want, you know, grilling a cheeseburger and watching some fireworks. That, that's what it's about. So I make an effort. The only reason I'm telling you this is to say I make an effort every 4th of July to tweet or share something on social media or make a statement about how above our politics, above what we think economically, socially, whatever, where, wherever you fall on the spectrum, the most important thing about any nation is its people. And the thing that makes the U.S. one of the more unique, I know there are many nations that are similar to the U.S. in this regard, but one of the more unique nations in terms of population is just the level of diversity we have is a country founded by immigrants and that should be whether it is or isn't today should be all about promoting and encouraging immigration because you know everyone who lives here today unless you are truly native american which almost no one is you know came from somewhere else at one point or another so i think that's the cool thing about this country it's the thing i wish more people embraced and celebrated which is just that we are a amalgamation of everyone from everywhere and I think that's really cool. So I always make an effort on 4th of July. I try to do something that is not specifically, that's like cult, quote unquote cultural, but not specifically American. Because to me, that's the most American thing you can do is, you know, celebrating someone else's culture, enjoying food from a different part of the world. Because to me, that's the purpose of this country is, is to be able to come from anywhere and still be whatever makes you unique, whether that be from somewhere else or from here to begin with. So just want to put that out there. I think... I just wish more people kind of shared that sentiment and celebrated that this is the, the, the thing that in theory makes this country so cool is that you can be anyone from anywhere and this can equally be your American experience. And I just wish that sentiment was embraced and celebrated a little more. So I celebrated my 4th of July by playing Japanese video games and eating ramen noodles because to me, you can do literally any of that. I don't know. We're, we're kind of the, the country that really spearheaded globalization. And I think that's pretty damn cool. Wanted to, wanted to share that. Not to say other countries don't have equal amounts of contribution to those kinds of things, but just wanted to put that out there. Happy 4th of July. Hope you guys had fun. Hope you ate a lot of a lot of food. And maybe maybe don't don't let the politicians have that, that day. Don't make it about history or politics. Make it about yourself. Make it about the individuals. The people are what matter. All right, that out of the way. Guys, really important news. Really big announcement. I'm really excited to share this with you. I'm actually not even joking for once. This is This is funny. This is funny because I'm not joking. I've been struggling a lot lately with uh, what I want to do next with Xbox on. It's not satisfying. It's not enough for me to just keep doing this podcast indefinitely with no with no intention of doing, you know, taking it a step further or doing something else. So I've decided to take the next step in what I want to do with Xbox on and a little nervous about it because I don't think this show has built enough of an audience that we can really pull this off. But fuck it. We're going to try it anyway. Guys. I uh, why well, I I can't say I created a Twitch account because I've pulled up an old Twitch account that I made and never used. But I have a Twitch uh, a Twitch channel, a Twitch account, and I've made the you know we've joked many times on the show before. You know, let's do community nights and community game nights and things like that on Twitch. We'll play Halo together. But I've never really taken that seriously or followed through with it in any way, shape, or form. I want to do that. I want to. I want the thing that I love about this show is that it's it's not about me talking about Xbox to you. It's about all of us talking about whatever and having Xbox be the through line that kind of ties us all together. So I want to keep that going and I want to take that energy and that that uniqueness that unique element of this show and kind of carry it into other aspects. So I thought 
The next place to do it was probably Twitch because I've, I want to do YouTube again one day, but goddamn, I feel so burned from YouTube. So we're going to do Twitch. Now, if you don't follow me on Twitter, which most of you probably don't because I never promote my Twitter and because honestly, don't follow me on Twitter. You can follow me on Twitter at Jesse DeRosa, but I tweeted out the other day my link, my, my Twitch username, and I said, let's hit a, let's set a goal. If we can hit 50 followers on, on Twitch, I'll start streaming. I'll, we'll come up with a schedule, we'll come out with a plan, we'll come out with types of shows, types of things to do, and we'll start streaming. Obviously, this is completely optional. I'm sure many of you out there listening are like, Jesse, thanks, but no thanks. Xbox on is a fun podcast. I like to have that in my rotation of shows, but not really interested in much else. That's fine. Feel free to fast forward a minute or two. But for those of you who might be interested in this, I just want to say I'm, I'm going to try to really drive this Twitch thing. So uh, I kept saying subscribers, and then my brother had to correct me. On, on Twitch, subscribers means people that pay to be a part of your channel. I'm not asking anyone to pay. Don't put any money in. No one has to ever give me any money. That's not what I'm asking. What I mean to say is follow on Twitch. So subscribe, I guess, would be the equivalency of YouTube. And that's why I'm used to saying subscribe. But nonetheless, if we can hit 50 followers on Twitch, then we will start doing streams, whether that be community nights where we just chill and talk about whatever, or we all decide on a game and do like a community game night and we play like Infection on Halo. You know, that'd be super fun. Uh, whatever the case may be, we'll figure that out as we get there. But for now, the goal is if we can hit 50 followers on Twitch, we will start doing Xbox on related Twitch streams. Now you may be saying, well, Jesse, I'm one of the few idiots that's 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 uh, that's that's got a tiny enough brain that I'm going to follow you on Twitch, but you haven't told me what your name is. Okay, calm down. Okay, sorry. I hit, I hit the desk. I got so excited. Well, the, the Twitch name is Lightning McStream. So all one word, Lightning, like Lightning McQueen from Cars, but Lightning McStream. Lightning McStream. Go ahead and you'll follow me. You'll see uh, my profile picture is the same as it is on Xbox On, so you should recognize that. But go ahead, give a follow. Hey, we went from one to nine from a single tweet, and not many people pay attention to me on Twitter. So if I could gain eight followers from a single tweet, then I'm hoping we can get a few more from making the announcement on the podcast where far more people listen. So go ahead, follow Lightning Extreme on Twitch. Once we hit 50, now it may actually take a couple months of me making this announcement and begging, but once we hit 50 subscribers, we'll start doing some kinds of stream. Sorry to stay so long on this. I'm actually just really excited about doing this because I said enough is enough. It's not... You know, it's not good enough for me to just do the podcast once a week. I want to do more. I want to take this a little more serious and try to expand this in more ways. So I think the next step is Twitch. And I'm hoping that some of you might agree and want to take part in this. So thank you for a couple minutes of your time there. Guys, let's get on with Xbox On, the regular run of the show. Beginning with corrections and uh, shout outs and, and things to address from last week, which as usual is blank because I'm goddamn perfect. I don't need to correct myself. Now, comments, shout outs from YouTube kidding me you guys know how it works if you want to leave a comment you go over to youtube.com you look up second best gaming and that's where you'll find my channel click on the xbox on playlist and you'll see every episode i've ever uploaded but that doesn't mean you can go commenting on anyone that's not what i want i want you to leave a comment on the latest episode and if you're lucky i'll read your comment I'll probably read your comment. You can say anything. You can say something really nice. Like, Jesse, I'm really happy for you that you're going to expand your horizons and try to do Twitch. And, you know, maybe it's not my thing, but I I'm, I'm willing to give you some support. So I'll just hit that, I'll hit that follow button just to help you out a little bit because I want you to be happy and I want you to succeed in everything you do. So good luck out there, man. That's all I wanted to say. That's a nice comment. We'll read that on the air because that's, that's good vibes, as the kids would say. Hey, but you could also leave a, a mean comment. You could say, Jesse... There's already like 20 people out there on Twitch. What makes you think you can compete with the other guys? You're so stupid for thinking that Twitch is a good place for you to go and Twitch yourself. In fact, so stupid, I'm going to go and make a Twitch account 
just so I can not follow you because I want you to be that unsuccessful. Well, it's a really mean thing to say to someone, but I'll still read your comment, so feel free to say whatever you want. Our first comment this week comes from none other than OG Man Man, who says, What's up, Jesse? Just finally finished Mass Effect 1 out of the Legendary Edition. Took me about 14 hours to do so, like a month or so, but man, it was a great game. I did absolutely no side quests, though. And I kind of wish that the game was more linear just because I'm not big on open world games where you have to figure out what to do next for yourself. Seeing as Infinite, Halo Infinite, is an open world quote unquote game, I really hope it's more of a game that holds your hand a little bit. I can't keep my attention too long, especially if I get lost or confused on what's my next objective. And I hope it's not open world like in Gears 5. I felt that was pointless to have because it provided no extra benefit to the game besides gliding around for an extra 10 minutes. What are your thoughts on Infinite being open world? OG man, I think this is a really good question. So thanks for the write-in. And I actually have... I feel like I can relate a lot to what you're saying here because I have very similar feelings about the games I play and I've had very similar experiences with Mass Effect in particular because of maybe about a year ago, I actually attempted to play Mass Effect 1 uh, after many years of feeling like I've missed out because it's just a game. It's a massive blind spot for me that I haven't played Mass Effect, one of the most one of the most important Xbox 360 games. But yeah, I attempted to play it, got really sucked in for the first hour, despite the fact that the game feels very archaic and clunky. Really, really liked what I played from that first hour, and then really fell off hard by hour two or three because the game starts getting more and more open, more and more figure out what to do next, talk to this person, I don't know, go figure it out, do what you want kind of experience. And that really wasn't what I wanted it to be. I really was hoping for more of like a arrow on the map saying, go here, talk to them, collect this objective, next cutscene, you know? And that's kind of really what I like in games as well as a much more linear structure. And I know that Mass Effect is more of an quote-unquote open world type experience, or at least more of an RPG experience where there are many side quests and many objectives and ways to play. So I was familiar with that from the start, and I'm sure you were too to some extent, but at least, you know, judge by what you're saying here, how could you not be? Mass Effect is such a commonly talked about game. But yeah, I have a very similar experience where I always tell myself, I'll get back to Mass Effect one day, but I'm probably just going to blaze through the campaign and uh, through the main quest rather and then ignore all the side content. But I know that's kind of a controversial thing to say because to so many people are like, well, if you play Mass Effect without really indulging in, in all that the game has to offer, you're not really playing Mass Effect. You're kind of robbing yourself of the experience to which I say, uh, fuck off, because I really hate when people try to tell you how you have to play a game in order to enjoy it. Although, I'm sure it's a very hypocritical statement for me to make because there will be, if not already, at some point, something I say that really contradicts that. But in this context, that's kind of my attitude is like, hey, if you really want to play a game and ignoring all the side content and all the big, vast, exploratory content and just tunnel visioning your way through the main story uh, content, if that if that's the way that you can get yourself to actually experience that game and actually be able to say, yes, I played Mass Effect. Yes, I know what people are talking about with this game. Yes, I have some experience with that franchise under my belt. And I, you know, if, if that's what it takes for you to get that experience and to finally play that game, then, you know, more power to you. You do what you got to do, right? Not every game is going to is gonna beckon to you and, ha- and have you FCing the whole game. That's a Guitar Hero term for all you awesome guys out there. Um, but y- you know what I mean? Like, um, like I just, like, we'll get into in what I've been playing. I just, uh, uh, but I, I've been playing Scarlet Nexus lately. That is a very rare game where I like the game enough that I'm compelled to try and do pretty much everything the game has to offer because I like it and I want to. That's very rare for me. Nine times out of ten when I play a game, I just want to play through the game and fuck off. Like, I, I always talk about how I like Far Cry, right? Uh, Far Cry 4 is my favorite Far Cry game. I've done 
the main quest and the DLC, but not much else. You know, Far Cry 5, I, I always talk about how I didn't like Far Cry 5 because the game has such a lazy, lazy approach to the world design that it kind of just bullies you into playing every fucking little side mission in order to make any progress in the real main quest because the game designers, I guess, gave up and got lazy with Far Cry 5. I have no fucking clue, but it's one. It's it's actually 99% of why I was super disappointed with Far Cry 5 is because the game's like, here, you have to do all this side bullshit if you ever want to experience the next main quest, and I really hate when games do that kind of stuff. I hate when it inundates you with too much of that or when it forces you to do that or whatever the case or tries to guilt you into doing that because, you know, it's very rare that the side content is even worth a damn, let alone, you know, the game trying to make you, like, force you into playing it. And I know there are exceptions. People say Mass Effect is one of those games that has good enough side content that you want to experience it all. But still, you should be... You should feel comfortable playing the game however it works for you best. You know, if if, if 14 hours of a main storyline and nothing else was what it took for you to have an enjoyable experience with Mass Effect, you don't need to feel bad about that in any way. I think that works. Also, 14 hours is a lot of time to spend with any game, so I'd argue you had enough there. But that's not really what you're saying. You're asking me more about my thoughts on Halo Infinite being an open-world game. And to that, I have kind of different thoughts because... Well, kind of like what I was just saying with Scarlet Nexus, Halo Infinite is one of the rare examples where if that game is, you know, a massive open world sandbox with tons of shit to check off and millions of side quests and all these little things you can do, Halo Infinite would be one of the very, very rare examples of a game where I'll be like, yeah, I'll take it. Because Halo Infinite is a game I already know I'm going to be playing endlessly for the next five to ten years not even without microsoft saying that halo infinite is kind of like a a games as a service halo or whatever it is they've been saying about it even even without that even if halo infinite was just going to be another one and done halo like halos four or five or whatever i know halo infinite is going to be a game i'll be playing for many years to come because well halo 5 is now almost six years old and i still play that game like every week so I, I know with Halo in particular, it's the kind of game that I'm always going to come back to. So it's a rare example of where I'll be like, actually, in this case, I'll take all the content I can get because I love this game. And I know I'll be coming back to it. But generally, my general rule of thumb is I'm really fucking tired of every game trying to be an open world. So what are my thoughts on Halo Infinite? It just so happens to be that I'm I'm a, a big enough Halo fan that I that I'm cool with this because I there can never be enough Halo content for me to consume. But I also recognize in the same vein that nine out of 10 games I get, I, I, I roll so fucking hard when you tell me it's an open world game because there's just too many games trying to compete for your time, trying to tell you, oh, we're a massive open world game with so many things to do. And it's like, okay, do you, do you realize that people have only so much time before they kick the bucket that like maybe at some point it's not a selling point for you to be like, here's the millionth fucking game announced at E3 this year that's going to demand 150 hours of your life, you know? So in most cases, I would I would be very meh about something like that. But in the context of Halo Infinite, I'm all for it. But that being said, OG Man, I don't think Halo Infinite is going to be an open world in the traditional sense. Remember, Halo Infinite, they've been a little dodgy on approaching how it's how it's open world whenever 343 talks about it. My guess is that Halo Infinite's 343, or Halo Infinite's, open world is going to be a little more like Gears 5, but maybe even more than than Gears 5, I think it might be a little more like like Rise of the Tomb Raider or or maybe even Destiny, like right? Where it's like 
you can like go to these, I don't know, like the map is explorable and you could go from one place to another, but for the most part, it's not like, you know, it's not like a Grand Theft Auto open world map where it's like, here's the entire game. Here's the entire sandbox. You can walk from the start of the game to the end of the game just by walking around and exploring it. I think it's going to be a little more like here are territories where like this section of the campaign takes place in this territory and this section of the campaign takes place in this territory. But when you're in that zone or that territory within the Halo ring, you can kind of go nuts and explore all over the place and pick up an, an objective here or play the main quest line here or go to this guy there, or, you know, whatever. And it has more, you know, kind of semi-open world explorable areas, less so than one cohesive open world. That's my guess with how they're going to approach Halo Infinite's open world. We don't really have a firm, definitive answer to that. Although I think 343's made it all, but, you know, they've been dodgy and a little vague about it. But if you really read between the lines and see what they're trying to say, I, I, I'm pretty sure that's what they're getting at, is that that's the kind of open world we're getting with Halo Infinite. So at the very least, at least you can confidently say, it will be less of an overwhelming open world than than games like, you know, like a Far Cry game or like a Grand Theft Auto or something like that. So, yeah, man, if I don't know, I thought, I thought Gears Five was kind of the sweet spot. So if Gears Five is a little too open for you, I think you might be a little disappointed with what Halo Five is going to have in store. That's just my honest opinion. But I mean, what the fuck do I know? You know, the game's not out yet, so I don't know. In mo most cases, I actually kind of liked it in, in Gears 5 because I feel like they used it effectively as like a lot of opportunity to do character explaining, character conversation, character development. Um, so I kind of liked it in Gears 5, although I think it's totally a fair criticism if you want to say it was unnecessary because in a, in a way it kind of was. But I don't know. Gears of War is such an over-the-top, fast-paced, high-action game that I kind of enjoyed the, the more like cinematic, breathable moments where it's just like kind of casually cruising from one place to another and and having your characters kind of uh, dialogue with one another, you know? So, I don't know. It, it works for me in games like Gears 5, and, I, and I'm looking forward to seeing what it's like in Halo 5, or in Halo Infinite, but uh, I, I don't know. I, generally, I'm an anti-open world kind of guy myself. So, thank you, OG Man. Now, Dead Captain James jumps in and says, The Pirate's Life update for Sea of Thieves was so good. Just finished it, and damn, it hit me just right. Dead Captain James, I gotta get back to that. I, I fell off. I gotta get back to that. But I'm glad you enjoyed it. It seems like a lot of people, the overwhelming consensus is this update's fucking awesome. I think a lot of, you know, Sea of Thieves is already a pretty big game, but I think this update and this content has gotten a lot of new eyes on Sea of Thieves, which makes me very, very happy. So glad you enjoyed it. Um, I'm sure many of you are out there enjoying it. Speaking of something to enjoy, we got Mr. Hot Toddy coming in saying, fun fact... That isn't that funny. If you check the Games Coming Soon section uh, on Xbox, Halo is nowhere to be found. One week ago, I bought a second controller to play together with my girlfriend, and the first game we played was A Way Out. Nothing groundbreaking, but the game was six hours short, uh, and they were the best six hours I had this past month. Highly recommend. Well, Hot Toddy, two things. Halo not showing up in the Games Coming Soon, that is a little bit of a conspicuous absence, right? Because... I mean, at the very least, you'd think they'd have that. But at the same time, I think it's just because there's no firm uh, release date, which is why it's not in there. I think once it has a hard release date, you know, even if it gets delayed from that, I think it'll be in there. But that is that is an interesting find. I don't know. I don't want to speculate too much on Halo and its release date anymore because at this point, I'm just so, like, just 
just fuck off with Halo and don't talk about it until you're ready to hand me the game, you know? So I don't know, but a way out. I'm, I'm glad. I'm, hey, I'm. Thank you for sharing that, uh, that uh, recommendation because I actually have been wanting to play that game for a, a while. I want to try it with my girlfriend, but I know I don't personally have the patience to do it. I know I'm probably gonna get flustered and not want to play it anymore, just knowing myself. But I, I have wanted to play that for a while. But I'm actually more interested in the. And uh, why am I forgetting that? Joseph, what's the guy's name? The guy behind these games whatever I'm, I'm more interested in his follow-up game that just came out um it takes two i think that game actually looks a little more up my alley but similar concept right where it's the co-op gotta work together to get through it weird game where like the the couple with the marriage issues gets turned into like a, a like two dolls and they gotta work together to become human again i think that game actually looked really fun and wonky and in, in a good way and seems like people really liked it so i do appreciate the recommendation mr miggy Jumps in and says, all right, so I'll eventually email you since my Twitter has an outdated photo of me, lol. But I'm on board with what you said about zero sugar soda and diet. Help me lose weight these past few months. I pray there's no shortage. Also, I just recently downloaded Fright Night Champion, Fight Night Champion, and it's hard to believe that this game was originally on the 360. The game is difficult, especially when the AI cheats, but addicting. Well, I don't know what to say to that because I never... I've never played Fight Night Champion, so but uh, I'm glad you en- I'm glad you enjoyed it. You know, f- fighting games like that are always kind of like racing games in a sense, where I feel like they're some of the prettier games. I think it was one of the Dead or Alive games that kind of launched around the uh, 360. It was like one of the first games my brother got on the 360. He got I'm pretty sure it was one of the Dead or Alive games, but it was a, a fighting game, and then he got Oblivion, Elder Scrolls Oblivion. Those were the first two games we had when we got Xbox 360. My brother brought one home in 2000. That was a uh... That was early 2006? Or no, that was late 2000. No, it was early 2006. Yeah, I remember just everything on the console just looking. I, I don't know. I don't really have much to say to that comment because I'm just so unfamiliar with games like Fight Night. So, But it did it did just trigger a memory in me of how, like, I just remember watching my brother. I'm pretty sure it was Dead or Alive. But watching my brother play that on the 360 and being like, I cannot believe games look this good at like now. Like, this is just unbelievable. And now you go back and you look at a 360 game, and you're like, kind of looks like a PS2 game, doesn't it? Uh, but anyway, um, yeah, man, it looks like I, it looks like I'm wrong. It looks like these the zero sugar shortage, the zero sugar soda shortage that I've been reporting on is mostly is mostly just a local issue because a handful of you wrote in about how you know have have told me that that's not really the case where you are. So maybe it's just a problem we're dealing with here in Florida, but you know. Florida problems. What else is new? My brother Josiah writes in and says, this is in response to Corey Long's comment from last week about picking a game to get a sequel or to re, uh, remaster or anything. Uh, he says, if I could pick games to get modern updates, uh, I would choose the following. Battalion Wars for the Nintendo GameCube. Okay, not Xbox. Soul Reaver. Again, not Xbox. Warcraft 2. Okay, you fucking nerd. That's not... That's PC. That's, that's better. And Resident Evil 1. Quote, the one that exists doesn't hold up to 2 or 3 remake. I mean a real remake. So, eh. Well, yeah. That's a pretty nerdy fucking list. That's That sounds like something you would come up with. So, you goddamn nerd. But I agree. It is kind of weird that they uh, did this Resident Evil 2 and 3 remake. And now they're rumored to be working on Resident Evil 4. Which, of course, you gotta believe that. But, like, Resident Evil 1 is just, like, shit out of luck. It just gets some crappy port with no real remake love. Anyway, 
You also continue on and say, Your take on Bloober Team making a Silent Hill game is, is completely wrong. Silent Hill is as much like Resident Evil as Resistance Fall of Man is like Halo. Silent Hill is very light on gameplay mechanics. It's all story and environments. Resident Evil is 100% gameplay. I've only played the medium from Bloober Team, but it feels like a modern day Silent Hill. If it's less popular than Village, that's fine with me. Well, you know what? All I can really say to this comment is, you're probably right. I really have never played a Silent Hill game. My, I have a lot of Silent Hill exposure just from watching my brothers play it growing up, but it was one of those games I, I saw my older brothers playing it. I said, I don't give a shit about that, and I went about my merry way to go play uh, Ratchet and Clank or Super Mario 64 or some other stupid shit that I was playing because I was six years old and I had no life. Uh, Mojo, Mojo, Jojo, Rojo, Mojo writes in and says, I must say, Mr. Jesse, that Mountain Dew runs in your veins, bro. Now, what would you say is the best tasting delivery of the classic dew? You got cans, you got glass bottles, you got plastic bottles, and the fountain drink. Which one would you? Which one would win in a fight? And how about Mountain Dew Amp? Does it even still exist? I actually rather enjoy Amp for the energy kick. Okay, Mojo, you, you're writing a little bit more, but we gotta stop there because goddamn, that is an A plus question. Like, if, dude, if that question could follow me on Twitch, it would be worth 50 subscribers or 50 followers alone because it's such a good, it's such a good write-in. God damn it, Mojo. Thank you. You know how just, you just, you just know how to get to me. Um, okay, let's, let's, let's break this down. The best delivery of Classic Dude. This is a phenomenal question. This is the kind of high-level brain activity questioning that I feel like generally only, only people like myself are capable of coming up with. So the fact that I'm not alone in being a goddamn genius makes me a little more comforted mojo because this is, this is a real thing that you got to think about soda. You know, it might be one flavor of soda, but it tastes different depending on how you drink it. And I, and I know the age old, like Coke tastes better at McDonald's. It's like, okay, we get it. You're a fucking seven year old and you have the IQ of a, of a goddamn ant. But if you, if you want to have an actual intellectual uh, conversation, you talk about the various iterations of Mountain Dew. You can get Mountain Dew from a soda fountain if you find a restaurant brave enough to serve it from a soda fountain. You can get Mountain Dew in a can, you can get it in a bottle, you can get it in a two liter and then pour it into a cup, however you want to do it. But it always does taste a little bit different, Mojo, and I'm glad you pick up on that. I'm glad that your taste buds are sophisticated enough that you can understand the complex palate uh, that the Mountain Dew offers. And into that, I must say, the can is my favorite. I know the proper answer is probably something like the fountain when you get the mixture of carbonated water and, and syrup just right. But to me, the answer will always be the can. Well, first of all, that harkens back. To explain why it's the can, you got to harken back to childhood. Because when you're a kid, there are certain things that are just cool, right? You know, like people tell you smoking's bad for you. I, I never smoked, you know, thank God, because it's a habit I'm glad I never picked up. But let's be honest. It doesn't matter if you smoke, if you have smoked, if you didn't smoke. No one gives a shit. The real thing to take away from smoking is that smoking looks fucking cool. And, like, anyone who's, like, six years old, ask anyone who's ever been six years old before, like, do people smoking cigarettes look cool? The answer is yes. It is definitively yes. Smoking cigarettes looks badass. And I feel the same way about soda cans. Drinking soda from a can, from a 12-ounce can, I know you Europeans do the smaller cans and whatnot. I have a can of Mountain Dew from the UK. I know it's smaller, it's weirder. But in, in the US, we drink the appropriate size of 12 ounces per can. And the look of holding a soda can in your hand is just, it's like cigarettes. It's just so fucking cool. You think about a guy with the skater pants on in the vans, in the, in, in the, in the sunglasses, and he's with the chicks, 
and and they're at and they're at the beach and it's probably south southern california and there's like awesome uh some 41 playing in the background because it's like a movie from 1998 and the can is just so iconic the can the soda can in your hand such a cool iconography i think the can really adds to the flavor just because of its coolness factor. So that's number one. Second of all, I think I've just I've just because of number because of reason number one, I've I've tied myself to the can for so many years that I just simply prefer the taste of the can. And then with that said, I think I think the only reasonable you know, if you, if you want to disagree with the can, I think the really only other acceptable answer would be the personal size bottle, the 16 or 20 ounce personal size bottle that you get at like a convenience store or at like the uh, checkout counter at a grocery store. That would really be the only other acceptable answer because again, it is a very specific and, and self-contained qu- quantity of, of soda. You know, you, you drink it before it gets lukewarm or room temp or whatever it's it's the perfect size and the perfect portion that you can enjoy it just so under the right conditions much like the can whereas when you when you get like a two liter and you pour it into a cup there's too many factors too many ways it can go wrong when you get it out of the soda fountain yes it's hypothetically the most fresh you'll ever be but again there's too many factors at play too many ways it can go sideways so i think the tried and true can variant with its a special badass imagery association going along with it can't be beat so the can is the definitive way to drink the dew if you're gonna drink it from a bottle i'm not gonna judge you you know as long as you're drinking your dew and you're getting big and strong like like a good boy i'm not gonna judge you either way but i think definitively the answer is the can uh, the can's the man so yeah that's my answer to that now who would win in a fight again the can because, yeah, like back in the day, like if we're talking about old school Mountain Dew, when they used to bottle these in, in glass bottles, and we're not even going to get into the glass bottle as a contender because it's just really not an option anymore. But back in the day when sodas were served in glass bottles, I would have said, the, the bottle's going to win. Because you know what the bottle does in a fight? It whacks itself against the wall and takes its sharp edge and cuts the other guys up. But nowadays... You know, America, we're, we're so soft. We're so soft in the world these days that we serve our sodas in plastic bottles. What are you going to do, pollute the ocean with that? You know, you're not going to win a fucking fight. The can is going to rip itself open and use that aluminum to, sh- to shred you to bits. So the can's going to win in a fight as well. Again, adding further to its badass uh, um, appeal, its badass look and, and whatnot. So with that said, um, Mountain Dew Amp, man, I, I'm pretty sure Mountain Dew Amp is gone. Uh, they have all the various Mountain Dew energy type drinks that they've done. I, I don't know, man. To be honest with you, every time they try to do all these like Mountain Dew Amp, Mountain Dew like Rise and all these things, they're all varying degrees of like, that's just okay. But it's kind of like what I was saying about all the new flavors of Mountain Dew anyway, where it's just like, you're just using the Mountain Dew logo and the Mountain Dew branding, but like this isn't really Mountain Dew. So I, I don't know. I've always been less into that kind of shit anyway, so I don't really pay much attention to it. I know, I know the Rise Mountain Dew flavors, those new energy drinks are pretty popular. I tried each of the new flavors once. They're they're fine. Um, I'm, I'm really just like, you know, Mountain Dew, the soda, everything else can kind of fuck off. They're just a bunch of posers so i don't really know what the energy what the answer to that is why i sit here insulting us a, a drink that you actually liked so i'm sorry there now mojo you also say unrelated mountain dew you say p.s doom eternal update came out this week with three new performance modes while the game already looked awesome and it's even better and though it's still hard as fuck cheers bro pps I'm from the Northeast myself, um, Providence, Rhode Island to be exact, so I have an accent that sounds like a mix of Boston and I, and I hate to say it, New York, so rock on with your zero nondescript accent. Well, fuck you. 
Even though I'm from, even though I'm technically from Massachusetts, fuck you. So thank you, Mojo. Excellent question. God, God damn it. Beautiful writing. Now let's wrap up. Not not too many comments this week. Let's wrap up with a couple quick ones. My mother says it was a hybrid between Game Boy and PlayStation. And now you might be saying, what the fuck does that mean? Now remember, last week I told you my mom used to always tell us to play with our Playboys when we were misbehaving or she wanted us to fuck off, but. This is her, her defending herself by saying, confusing confla- confusing the names Game Boy and PlayStation by taking the play from PlayStation and the boy from Game Boy and making up Playboy. That sounds like a whole lot of, you know, convenient excuse making. I, I don't believe it. Okay. And lastly, Lethal Migraine wants to come in with a little bit of negativity as he does and says, who cares about your soda issues? Diet Dr. Pepper is the best soda on the planet. Drink it and win at life. Okay, Lethal Migraine, that's fine. No one's going to argue with you. We all agree that Diet Dr. Pepper is the best diet soda ever made. No one's going to argue that. But I thought you were all like team fuck diet soda altogether. So why are you going to sit here and defend Diet Dr. Pepper when on any in other, any other given, given circumstance, you would just shit on a zero sugar or diet soda altogether. So please explain yourself, Lethal Migraine. Please and thank you. And with that said, guys, that's going to do it for all of our comments this week. Remember for next week, don't be shy. Reply. Next, let's jump into what I've been playing. But before I can tell you about what I've been playing, I must tell you about what I've been eating. Guys. This is a weird one, so buckle up. This is—it's not. We're not gonna go too in depth. We're not gonna go too in depth on this one, but I—I I would like to pose this to you guys because I've been—I've been having a weird like food craving lately that seems to be a little controversial. Seems to be something that you should be embarrassed of because a lot of people have given me feedback that this is kind of disgusting. But I've been in a big mood for egg salad lately. So before you go judging me, let me explain to you. So you guys know I'm a weeb. So. There's there's this there's this guy on YouTube, my girlfriend I like to watch. His name is a uh, well I guess his his account name on on YouTube is strictly dumpling. The guy's name is Mike Chen. I may have mentioned him on the show, but he's this guy um who just goes around. He like just travel I think he lives in New York, but he just travels all around the US and abroad just going to amazing restaurants all over the world and just eating delicious food. And the guy, like, literally all he does is fucking pumps iron and works out during the day. And then he turns the camera on and he's just eating amazing food all over the world. And then he just eats, like, way too much food that would make anyone else super fat. And then when when the camera's off, he's back at the gym pumping iron, getting swole again. So, really, he's actually, like, one of the only, like, YouTube... He's not technically a vlogger, but I'll call him a vlogger because I'm just out of sheer ignorance. But he's one of the only people of that nature on YouTube that doesn't drive me fucking nuts when I watch him. I actually like him. So I watched... I, I, I came for the food, but I stayed for the for the Mike Chen. I like him. He's a cool guy. But anyway, we, we're really into watching his videos, and we're really going hard on all of his videos covering Japan because he, he goes to Japan a lot and, and covers a lot of food there. And in Japan, they have this sandwich called... The Tamago Sando, which literally just means like egg sandwich. I'm just being a fucking weeb by telling you that. But it's a pretty common sandwich. It's like an egg salad sandwich. And you might say, well, Jesse, the egg salad sandwich is a pretty common thing. I know they have that in a lot of places in the world. Well, it's it's a little different in Japan. Because in Japan, they use... They use bread, they use crustless bread that is absurdly light and fluffy. It's almost like marshmallowy, soft cloud bread. So it's like next next gen bread. It is the Xbox Series X of soft bread. So that's the first thing that separates it from your traditional like American egg salad sandwich. Okay, so that immediately I'm like, okay. And now what they do is they use egg salad mix. 
but they also add in what you would call a, like a like like a soft like a ramen egg, like a soft boiled ramen egg where it's like got the creamy yolk in the middle. So it's like egg salad mix in a sandwich, and then they also add a creamy ramen egg in there too. So it's just like next gen egg salad sandwich and so obviously it's not something you can get around here in florida but every time i see him eat one of those or i see one of those i just lose my mind because it's just one of these food items i've never been able to truly have and i'm just like i need to get to japan so i can eat one of these things one day and so i was like fuck it you know what this guy goes into a 7-eleven in japan and the 7-elevens in japan are just beautiful and all the food's amazing and everything obviously 7-eleven kind of sucks here in the states but nonetheless i'm just gonna go to 7-eleven and see what i can do so i go to 7-eleven here and they happen to have an egg salad sandwich fuck it it's on whole wheat bread it's got crust on it it's kind of gross you know no one's buying that shit so it's probably been on the shelf for five years but fuck it i'm in the mood let's try it out despite it looking like shit it's actually pretty good so now i'm like down this rabbit hole of like okay well when i go to the grocery store let me try their egg salad and let me take it home with this bread and try to mix it and make my own sandwich let me get some let me get a hoagie roll toast it and then put the egg salad mix on it and so i'm like kind of going down the rabbit hole with the egg salad at the moment my girlfriend thinks it's disgusting all my coworkers think it's disgusting my manager called me out for it so i have to pose the question to you guys where do you stand on egg salad is it a yay or is it a nay have you had it do you like it do you detest it if so why lethal migraine i'm sure you have something very mean to say about it please sound off in the comments I'd love to hear it, but if I'm just being honest, for for the time being right now, there's just something about that egg salad. It's really getting me, so it's what I've been eating. And then as for what I've been playing, we're sticking with the weeb shit. Last week, Scarlet Nexus came out. I talked ad nauseum about how I really, really, really like this game, and this past week, I beat it. I rolled the credits on it. Now, the game, there, there's two characters you can play as, uh, Yuito and Kasane, and uh, and you choose at the beginning which one you want to play as. And basically, what it is is it's like the same game in quotes, but from different perspectives. So a lot of the beginning and the ending content is the same with each character, but everything that happens in the middle is very different because the story kind of branches off in different directions, and you see both perspectives depending on who you play as. So I played as Yuito, which is the male character, and because he was the guy that they showed off in the original announcement trailer. So that's like, I was like, I just want to do that. Cause that's kind of how I was introduced to the game. And I fucking love the game so fucking much. And when you beat the game, it unlocks basically like new game plus mode where you keep all your progress, you keep all your shit, but you can play the other characters campaign. So now you're on like God mode, but you can play through the other character and get all the story beats you missed. So I'm, I'm going to go back and do that. I don't know if I'm going to do it immediately i don't know if i'm going to jump in right now but it's about a 25 hour run on each character and you know it took me about 30 hours to beat the game because i played a little slow i did some of the side content because i just like this game enough to do that and so now i'm thinking i might jump in and, and play kasani's half of the story but scarlet nexus i've got to say two big thumbs up this is definitely my game of the year so so far like i said Halo Infinite, probably going to be my game of the year when all is said and done i'm also really excited for the ascent which is about to come out so Will it remain my game of the year? Probably not. But for now, it is definitely my game of the year. It's I'm very much in love with Scarlet Nexus. I think the characters in this game are fucking awesome. The story is really, really cool. It's definitely really convoluted, really long in the tooth, very Japanese and overexplained. And there's just tons and tons of exposition and over-the-top dialogue and really melodramatic anime shit. And 
Nine times out of ten, I hate that shit, but there's always that one. And this is this is just one of those examples where, like, I just, I, I fell so into it. I'm such a sucker for it. Even though so much of the writing is just kind of cringy when you translate it to English. It's just like, no one talks like this. I still love it. I don't care. I love all the characters. Yuito and Hanabi, they're so cute together. I just want them to get married and live happily ever after. It just makes me so happy. I love this game. I really, really love this game. Really cool ending. And honestly... When you strip away all the weeby, weird shit, and you just think about the general, like, the the basic plot of the game, it, it actually is a really interesting and cool story. But yeah, I mean, I, I highly, highly recommend this game. The, the combat is phenomenal, top to, top to bottom. It, it, it constantly evolves as you play the game. It's it's introduced to you in a way that's, like, digestible and not overwhelming, but as you learn it, it gets very complex. But, it, like, the game does such a perfect job of introducing new elements of the combat to you as you slowly master what you've already been exposed to so that you always feel like you're getting stronger and learning new things without getting like overwhelmed and bogged down with too many options so really excellent thing there like every character has like different powers and your power is psychokinesis but you can just borrow from your other characters i love that like you can just like pick shit up like it's like like in the game control and just like throw cars and blocks and shit at enemies but then you can borrow your friends like electric ability and shock them or you can borrow your friends teleportation ability so that you can kind of like zip your way around enemies and find their weak spot and hit them from behind it's just very very cool fun over the top super stylized combat the story is really really cool you know it took me it's about a 25 to 30 hour run if you just want to play one of the character stories and you can you can just do one character and stop and you'll get a complete story it's just if you're really invested like i was you might want to play both sides of the story so it's a big game if you want it to be it's a medium length game if you if you don't want it to be a long game uh, but it's in my opinion it is fully worth 60 dollars. it is my very favorite game i've played on series x you know since series x has come out this is my favorite series x game i've played that being said it's not very series x like in terms of its performance and visuals it's a very pretty game but there's nothing particularly next gen about this game is very very much a game that can exist and does exist on xbox one as well but it is my favorite game i've played since the series x has come out and very very into it and uh highly highly recommend scarlet nexus so that's what i've been playing also been playing some sonic forces in my free time you know here and there a little bit before bed each night because I'm a goddamn idiot, and for some reason, even though I know Sonic Forces sucks, even Sonic fans don't like Sonic Forces, and I don't even particularly like it, there's a lot that, you know, the older that game gets, the more it starts to grow on me. I really, you know, it's really rudimentary and, like, mind-numbingly basic Sonic gameplay, but it's still fun, and goddamn, the soundtrack in that game is so, so fucking good. And, you know, it, it performs well. A lot of Sonic games have weird performance issues. Say what you will about Sonic Forces. It's not a great game, but... It's it, it's very well polished and performs very well for a Sonic game, which is admirable. So, I, I don't know. I like Sonic Forces. I own it on Xbox and Switch, so I'll be, like, in the living room playing Sonic Forces one night, and then, like, I, I start falling asleep. So, I'll turn off the Xbox, pick up my Switch, go into bed, continue playing Sonic Forces on the Switch, and just fall asleep with it because uh, I'm unlovable and I like Sonic for some reason. But that's, uh, that's what I've been playing. Very, very weeby week for me. And with that all out of the way, guys, it's time to jump into the news itself. All right, this first story kind of broke shortly after last week's episode, so it may seem a little old at the time you're listening. By the time you're listening to this, but uh, bear with me. I don't control the weather, just the uh, day that the show comes out. Do you like Xbox but hate PlayStation for arbitrary and tribalist reasons? Well then, this next story is just for you. 
According to VentureBeat's Jeff Grubb, Xbox and Kojima Productions leader, as well as Metal Gear series creator, Hideo Kojima have signed a letter of intent indicating that the two parties will no doubt be working together on a new video game, almost certainly to be exclusive to the Xbox slash PC slash Game Pass platform. This would strengthen long-standing rumors that Xbox is working with Hideo Kojima on a new Xbox exclusive game, although Kojima Productions did just recently confirm that their 2019 game Death Stranding is currently getting a director's cut version exclusively for PlayStation 5. While this doesn't mean much in terms of getting in the way of working with Xbox, it does highlight what a massive blow this potential deal would be to PlayStation, a gaming brand that has become nearly synonymous with Hideo Kojima for over the past 20 plus years. While it is unlikely that we will hear anything about this potential game anytime soon, one thing is for certain, Xbox rules, ponies drool. So I haven't really read much about this story until until I was putting the show notes together the other day, but I didn't realize there was just so little to this. So I guess really really the news here is just that the rumor, the report suggests not to discredit them. I'm sure these these are pretty reliable sources, but the the rumors and reports suggest that Xbox and Hideo Kojima have behind closed doors signed a in uh, a letter of intent, basically meaning that the lawyers and everyone have drafted up this whole contract that says you agree to make a game with Xbox. Boom. It's signed in blood. If you don't do it, lawsuits happen. This is going to happen. It's a thing. So now more or less, if these reports are true, Hideo Kojima and Kojima Productions as an extent to that are contractually obligated to work with Xbox to make a game. Now, I guess to be a little more clear, Hideo Kojima is contractually obligated. Now, he's probably not making a game with Xbox that isn't made by his studio, Kojima Productions, so, you know, probably is the developer of this said game. I mean, yeah, that's that's the big news here, is that this is is a huge win for Xbox, because this isn't even really about, like, Xbox fans are clamoring for a Hideo Kojima game. They saw Death Stranding and just were so pissed that they didn't have something equal to that on Xbox. It's not even really about that. This is really more about, like, this, this is actually the perfect example of, like, getting a game on Xbox, getting something exclusive for the Xbox ecosystem for the fact, for, for none other than the fact of just being like, hey, Sony, here's a big, fat middle finger. That's really all this is about, right? Because at the end of the day, it's like, of course, Metal Gear, the Metal Gear Solid franchise is a hugely important uh, series in gaming, and everyone knows it, and it's very, very popular, and it has a long-standing history on PlayStation, although eventually... All, all those games except for number four made their way to Xbox in some way, shape, or form anyway. So, but still, that, those are, you know, Metal Gear Solid. You, someone says Metal Gear Solid, you think PlayStation. Obviously, the original Metal Gear games that were made before Kojima was involved back on, like, the Super Nintendo were, you know, were not PlayStation games. That was before PlayStation's time. And then, and then obviously, you know, games like Peace Walker, Metal Gear Solid 1, 2, 3, and 5 have come to Xbox, you know, at some point or another. But still, I mean, the fact of the matter is, you think of Metal Gear, you think of PlayStation. It's it's one of those things, it's kind of like Insomniac before Sony owned Insomniac, where it's like, it's not technically PlayStation, but it's PlayStation, right? So, and then, I mean, and then Death Stranding, while, yes, it's on PC, is, is also, like, pretty much just a PlayStation game. You think of it, you think PlayStation. So the fact that Xbox is here, not only getting a Hideo Kojima game because they've had, you know, games that he's worked on in the past. This is them literally saying, not only is it coming to our console first, it's coming to our console exclusively. That serves 
almost entirely as just a big middle finger to Sony. At that point, you you gotta you gotta think a, a game from Hideo Kojima. You're thinking at least fifty to hundred million dollars for a game like that. That game is being made not because Xbox fans are clamoring for a Hideo Kojima game or because whatever it is he has dreamt up in his head is just perfect for the Xbox fan base, but simply because you know that is the kind of big dick energy, the kind of touting power that you can use to flip the script. That's the kind of stuff that really quickly sets the fanboy world on fire, sets the fans on fire, the internet ablaze, and has people conversing about God damn, Xbox is getting real good. Game Pass is such a great value. Xbox Series S is such a great value. Xbox Series X is the most powerful console on the market. Xbox All Access offers such an affordable way to get in the door with Xbox. They even got Hideo Kojima. They got PlayStation guys jumping ship just to go work on Xbox. Like That's the point of a move like this. Is basically just be like, big dick energy. We got it. You don't. It's it's It's... In a way, it's kind of the exact same thing of like when they got Sunset Overdrive from Insomniac, but kind of for different reasons, because obviously, as the story famously goes, Insomniac was looking to create games where they owned the IP and they didn't have to give it to someone else because if Sony, you know, Sony, Sony's whole thing is if you want to make a game with us, we have to own the IP. So the reason why Sunset Overdrive was an Xbox exclusive was because Xbox was willing to publish the game and let insomniac maintain or retain the ip and that's why we got sunset overdrive but even though it's a different reason for doing so it kind of reminds me of a similar move where it's like you know sunset overdrive obviously was kind of a commercial failure unfortunately is one of the best xbox one games but but still like it was a big game to have because it's like yeah you know those guys that make all those playstation games yeah they got a game just for xbox now same thing it's like yeah, yeah you know that guy that makes like some of the best playstation games of all time some of the most well-regarded games in the history of video games yeah yeah, yeah. he's making a game just for xbox this time and it's just that alone is worth the cost of the game it's not about you know whether it's something a little more niche and in lower budget and lower commercial success like a death stranding or if it ends up being something like the next metal gear solid who knows that that's really not what this is about this is purely about getting hideo kojima on xbox having that big news drop having that big boon that you can be like yeah fuck you sony that's really what this entire story is about The, the entire history of whatever this game ends up being that is the reason for its existing, is having a big middle finger moment to Sony, having a big Xbox has the games moment, because this, again, that's that's clearly, and you got to remember, like, in, in the final few years of the Xbox One, that's what Phil Spencer kept saying, is like, more or less, he would say things that suggest, like, yeah, we, we know this generation is basically a wash, there's not much we can do, but we're really gearing up, and we're really proud about what we have coming in the pipeline, what we have on the horizon, the next generation. We're really proud and confident in what we have coming up. And this is the kind of stuff, these are the kind of stories you hear where you're like, this is what, and Phil Spencer probably didn't know this was going to happen three years ago, but these are the kinds of stories where like, this is what Xbox meant. This is the culmination of everything they had planned these past few years. Just like, we know how to win the gamers back. We know how to get Xbox back on the map, how to ha- get its its seat back at the table and its, its name in the conversation again. And these are the kinds of moves that Phil Spencer and the team had up their sleeves to be like, yeah. We, we know what happened last generation and we're never going to let that happen again. That's not what Xbox is. That's not what we want it to be. And we don't want to let that ever, ever, ever happen again. And this is that, this is that kind of move that really solidifies a story like that. So 
Really not else, much else to say other than that. If you really take away all the sizzle and the, and the burn of that story, it boils down to another one of those, like, rumor, a video game is being created by a video game developer. Nothing else to share. So there's not really anything to talk about in the way of a specific video game, but th that news in and of itself is something that's very, like, you know, I think about that meme where, where it's, like, all those guys and, like, grabbing their heads, like, their faces are melted, like, oh, like, oh, that was such a good, that was such a good own, you know? It's basically that meme personified in a news story. That's that's basically what this one's all about. Next up from Windows Central. You thought that one was cool. Wait for this one. The next Assassin's Creed game is reportedly codenamed Assassin's Creed Infinity. That's according to a report from Bloomberg, which notes that the game is being co-developed by Ubisoft Montreal and Ubisoft Quebec, with the latter taking the lead position. Multiple prior Assassin's Creed uh, games have altered lead developers between Montreal and Quebec. While not discussing details, Ubisoft has acknowledged the existence of Assassin's Creed Infinity to Bloomberg. As the codename implies, the game would be a live-service title containing, quote, multiple settings to function uh, and functioning as a massive platform that can evolve over time. This can allow for different games that are all connected in some way to be developed on the same platform. Bloomberg notes that the game is years away from release and that things could change before Infinity arrives. Separately, Windows Central uh, previously heard that the game's next major assassin or sorry that the next major assassin's creed uh, game was being tentatively aimed for a 2024 release following the expanded support being received uh for assassin's creed valhalla which of course came out last year which will have major expansions continuing through 2022 so this is an interesting one because when you think about it, it's like this makes sense this is kind of the direction that assassin's creed has been slowly headed in anyway so like in a way i'm like huh yeah, I get why they're going this way. But at the same time, it's also just like, ah, not another one of these. So, weirdly enough, we're seeing... If the Xbox One generation was immediately defined in 2014 when Destiny came out as, this is the generation of these multiplayer shared world shooters, games as a service, MMO light type games, then the early Xbox... One or the Xbox Series X days are being are being identified in a similar way, but now for single player games, these of uh, these single player narrative driven games that are also a platform that can evolve and had content added to and turn into other stories and adventures over time. So instead of making multiple games, we're just making a platform, a skeletal structure that you can then flesh out over the years with added content, added campaigns, new territories to explore, new characters, all these kinds of things. And so I feel like this is the next frontier of games. In a way, this is kind of like what Outriders was doing, but this is to a different extent. This is a little more in line with what 343 is teasing with Halo Infinite, and right down to the infinite name. They're just basically they're just making Halo Infinite, but for Assassin's Creed right now. And so, of course, my knee-jerk reaction to someone who doesn't like Assassin's Creed, as someone who likes to pick on Ubisoft a little bit is just like oh my god I roll so stupid don't care about this game and and yes that, that's all true I, I don't care about this game I don't care about Assassin's Creed um it does take a herculean effort a herculean effort however you say it, effort for me to give a fuck about Assassin's Creed but here we are I'm doing it guys pray for me um I think this is kind of fitting for Assassin's Creed because obviously there's the original Assassin's Creed formula which was very you know a more linear kind of mission style, regular single player game. And then it evolved into like the Assassin's Creed origins and Odyssey and Valhalla formula we have today, which is 
very open world sandboxy kind of Assassin's Creed game that really busted open the formula and the play style uh, of Assassin's Creed and added many, many, many RPG elements to it and made it a lot more Western RPG, a lot less third person parkour action game. So we've already seen that kind of the beginning of this take place. And I think this is kind of the natural next step for it is like, okay, well now you got the Assassin's Creed game with the RPG mechanics. and It's kind of an open world thing. Just make it even bigger, add different territories to it, and you can basically just make it a skeleton. It's like Destiny. It's like, here is your platform, and we will just add new content to it over the years. You don't have to like it, but you can kind of see how they came to this decision, right? Um, Yeah, (laughs) in a way, this kind of almost makes sense because, you know, for the longest time, Ubisoft saw Assassin's Creed as their Call of Duty, where they were just annualizing. It was like, this studio is making an Assassin's Creed, then this studio is making one, then this one's making it, and then we could hit that cadence of, like, every fall, there's an Assassin's Creed game. And then that became kind of untenable, and they walked away from that for a little while, and then they immediately came back with this whole, like, now Assassin's Creed's this big old open world game, and we got them coming every two, three years, whatever, big developers taking turns working on them. This is kind of the culmination of, like, Let's just put all those teams on Assassin's Creed and make one big platform rather than starting from scratch, new game from the ground up. Let's do this again. So it kind of makes more sense when you think of it from like an economical standpoint, an efficiency standpoint. And it kind of falls in line with what Ubisoft was saying a few months back during their earnings call about how they want to continue to invest in single player titles, but they don't want to do this wasteful resource thing of just like making more single player one and done games move on. They want to do more of this service style stuff. So in a way, this isn't really breaking news because Ubisoft kind of said they were going to do this. I just feel like we were all thinking of different franchises when they made that announcement, not so much Assassin's Creed. So this is all kind of in line with what we were expecting and what we were being told. And I think Ubisoft telegraphed it quite nicely. And here we are seeing that kind of come to fruition from a little reporting that Ubisoft was quick to just basically jump up and confirm. Remember, Bloomberg, this is Jason Schreier. Jason Schreier is the guy who used to work at Kotaku and got Ubisoft so pissed off because every year without fail, this guy would leak every fucking Assassin's Creed game that Ubisoft blacklisted uh, Kotaku from from media access for for years, for many years. I don't I don't even know if they ever got lifted, if they ever got that restriction lifted, to be honest. Um, and, and, and so you would think someone like Jason Schreier, who's now at Bloomberg reporting this story, would just be still hated by Ubisoft. But no, when he reports a story like this, uh, Ubisoft's like, yeah, yeah, that's happening. Basically, more or less, that's what we're working on. Because... It's so in line with what they've already kind of been talking about to shareholders and what people have been speculating. That's just kind of like, yeah, why even try to keep this a secret? That's where we're going. So if anything, it's almost just weird that they didn't even mention it at E3 since all these E3 press conferences were garbage anyway. Even if you didn't have something to show, you might as well just talk about this. But nonetheless, I, I, I as someone who wouldn't, it doesn't matter what you do, I'm not going to play Assassin's Creed Either way, whether it was whether it's like the old Assassin's Creed games or the current ones or whatever this is going to be, I'm not going to play Assassin's Creed either way. So it, it makes no sense for me to sh- sit here and just shit on this decision or this direction because I don't care either way personally. But I think if you're an Assassin's Creed fan, this is probably actually a good thing because this allows you to get more Assassin's Creed at a steadier clip. And you know whether and if you're an Assassin's Creed fan who enjoys that kind of thing. That's what you want because because Ubisoft's been trying to give that to you for the longest time anyway. So I, I assume diehard Assassin's Creed fans are just like Call of Duty fans where they're okay with getting 
tons and tons of the same thing all the fucking time. So this is just a cleaner, easier way to get that stuff more reliably, more consistently, more effectively. I think it makes sense for all parties involved. And then for people like me, didn't give a shit before, don't give a shit now. So whatever. Um, I It, it makes sense for, I, I don't know, I, from a development standpoint and an efficiency standpoint, I think this is very smart. In a, in a world where all we ever hear about is how video game crunch and how expensive video games are to make and how many years it takes to develop a game that gamers then beat in like 15 hours and put away and never experience again. It's like, these are the kinds of ways we combat all those things, right? You buy the game one time, boom, we don't have to make another one just to just to get you to pay attention again. We can just flesh this experience out. You know, we don't have to crunch to get a sequel out the door and then another sequel and another sequel because we can just add new content. It's also a way to keep your players super engaged because when it's a platform and not a, a one-off game, then another one-off game, then another one-off game, it keeps players more engaged because it's like you're here, you're in this game, we've set the standard, we've set the stage for this game, you're invested, and now we're going to continue to evolve and change this story. We're not going to leave this game behind, move on to a new game. We're going to keep this game alive with new with new content. And I think that keeps your fan base really engaged. It definitely works with things like World of Warcraft and Destiny. I think we're going to see it work really well with Halo. And I think for Assassin's Creed, it's a good move. So this is this is a story I want to inherently knee-jerk kind of be like down on, but eh, it's kind of I think it's kind of the right move considering how this franchise has been handled. So I don't know. I can't, can't say much against it. Then, uh, and now that we're past the lame-ass Ubisoft Assassin's Creed nerd talk, we can jump into the cool stuff again. Next up, according to some rumors coming from VentureBeat, Gamatsu, and Eurogamer, EA may be looking to bring back the now long-dormant, though much-beloved, Dead Space franchise. As the rumors say, the game would be a remake of the first entry in the series and would be developed by Star Wars Squadrons and Battlefront 2 campaign creators, EA Motive. EA was originally inspired by Capcom's recent remakes of Resident Evil's 2 and 3 and is hoping to do a remake in a similar vein, where they would keep the core of the game intact but spruce it up with more modern graphics, art, additional gameplay mechanics, you know, to kind of modernize the title. Listeners will remember that Dead Space was originally created by Visceral Games, a studio believed to be among EA's very best. The team put out the highly successful entries in the Dead Space franchise, the first three of them, beginning with the original Dead Space in 2008, Dead Space 2 in 2011, and the lesser beloved but still highly successful Dead Space 3 in 2013. The team then went on to do Battlefield Hardline in 2015, and then was working on a Star Wars game under the project name Ragtag before EA shut them down in an attempt to make video game fanboys cry very loud like little bitches. EA will be holding their EA Play Live event on July 22nd, just a few weeks from now, where they may where we may get some word on whether or not this project is actually an incubation. Isn't it really easy to tell which ones I wrote and which ones I copy and pasted from the internet? Uh, anyway, uh, this uh, I think this is definitely true. I, I I know this is a rumor, and generally my approach is like treat rumors like rumors, take them with a grain of salt. I think this week we have a lot of stories. You know, the first three stories we're th- we're three stories in, and everything's been a rumor thus far. I I think this week's news is full of very strong, very highly likable, rum- likely ru- rumors. So I, especially with this one, I basically want to just talk about this like it's fact because I really don't doubt this. I really, really, really strongly think this is absolutely 100% happening, especially because you look at what EA is doing right now and that's all they have is they're going back to the well, you know, they're like, oh, fuck, um, Bioware, Anthem was a mistake, uh, go back to Mass Effect, go back to Dragon Age. Okay, uh, Respawn, uh, if you guys ever stop making so much fucking money 
off of uh, uh off of um, Apex Legends, you can make another Titanfall. Uh, uh, dice, you know, go back to your roots with uh, with Battlefield and and make you know make make a Battlefield that just feels like Battlefield. Forget about the campaign. Forget about the uh, weird try to like experimental shit with Battlefield Five. Just try to make a very modern next gen feeling Battlefield game through and through. And we got twenty forty two on the way. So I feel like this is very in line with what EA is all about right now. And Dead Space was a thing that did very very well for them. They stupidly shut down Visceral because they fucking hate the world, and they just wanted to make it slightly darker for everyone. And uh, I think this is the right move: is to try to try to undo that mistake as much as they can, which they can't. But you know, bring back Dead Space, and so it, made, it makes sense to me. And the rumor was that EA Motive just recently scrapped some project that was early in development anyway. So for them to be working on this kind of lines up, right? The developer and the timeline and everything like that. Now, do I think this game is anywhere near ready to be ready for being shown? No. But this is EA we're talking about. These are the guys that like to announce games. We were making fun of them the other week on the show. These are the guys that like to announce games by getting up on stage and being like, we are so proud to announce that Mass Effect is making a return. Although, this is a decision I made last night while I was taking a dump on the toilet. So, I literally have nothing to show you. But here I am announcing the game anyway. Let me uh, go out into the audience and put a microphone to the face of one of the developers. And just kind of get him on the spot and make him say something. And the developer's like, huh, I'm working on Mass Effect, man. And they're just like, you, had, you heard it here, folks. You heard it here first, folks. We're working on Mass Effect. And then they show like some developer diary where they're just like, the thing about Mass Effect is it's a video game. And we have the skills and the technology to develop this video game, which is what we plan on doing here at EA. And it just shows like artist sketches of like a character from the Mass Effect universe. And it's just like somewhere in the background, it says like Mass Effect on like a Word document on someone's computer. And it's just like, wow, they're really bringing back Mass Effect. It's like, uh, okay. So I wouldn't be surprised. We saw that happen with Skate. They did the same thing with Skate. They're like, yeah, we're bringing back Skate. Here's a developer telling you that skateboards exist. And if you look really closely in the background, you can see like a fucking thumb drive with a piece of tape on it labeled Skate. You know? Um, so I, I could see them totally doing this uh, at their July 22nd event where they're just like, all right, we're going to take the next 20 minutes to talk about Dead Space. And some guy's like, Dead Space was a video game. We made a handful of them. They were released. People bought them and played them on consoles and PC. Uh, and now we're making another one of those games. And then in the background, you see like character art of like a guy's face and a helmet or something. And it's just like, uh, Dead Space is now in development. And you're just like, okay, see you in 20 years. So I think this is very likely the case. I think that's very much where the game is in development. I think that's very much the kind of announcement we're going to get in a little bit. So I would place my bets on all of those bits of information. Uh, but other than that, this this is the move. I think bringing back Dead Space is a good move. Remaking the first one, that's where I kind of fall off. I think... And, and I can see why EA is a little hesitant to do something like this. But I think bringing back Dead Space doing a new character and new story in the dead space universe is the way to go, you know, like a mass effect Andromeda because, or, or, I mean, I've never played dead space, so I don't know if the third one ends in a way that there's room for a sequel, just make dead space four. That could be a way to go as well. I don't like the idea of remaking it because unlike resident evil two and three, the games that this remake is kind of drawing inspiration from according to the rumors, you know, resident evil two and three, these are like PlayStation games. So these are games that look like shit, that play like shit, that are from a really shitty console from over 20 years ago. So remaking Resident Evil 2, especially the way they remade it, makes perfect sense. 100%. That's a really justifiable ground-up remake. 
uh, Dead Space, you know, the first one came out, the first one only came out like 12, 13 years ago. And mind you, it was on a HD console that did 3D games very well. You know, like a lot of 360 games have aged very well. You can go back and play 360 games on your Xbox Series X. A lot of them play very, very well. You know, Mass Effect 1 might not be the prettiest game of all time in 2021, but it's uh, it, it probably looks and plays just fine. So it's, it's weird to be like, we're going to do a kind of ground up remake, but keeping the spirit intact of a game from 2008, especially when you consider the most recent entry is from 2013. So that game's not even 10 years old yet. It's very much just like, you know, talking about a franchise that only ended like seven or eight years ago. So very weird decision on in that regard, I think. So they should have done, in my opinion, Dead Space 4 or Dead Space Reboot or Dead Space the sequel but unrelated to the first three or something like that. But here we are. We're getting Dead Space 1 remake from the ground up in the same vein, a la Resident Evil 2. I think it's kind of weird. This, when you see it like that, it almost hits me more like a knee-jerk reaction, like... I feel like Capcom's hit so much gold lately with these Resident Evil remakes and Resident Evil 7 and Village and all this this stuff that it almost seems like the reaction from Konami with Bluebird Team and Silent Hill and EA with Dead Space and all these kinds of things is just like, oh, horror is big again? We can do horror again? Okay, um, we own a horror IP that we don't ever fucking use. Who wants to make this game? Everybody raise your hands. Okay, go make this game. And it's like, is that the right approach to it? So I'm a little apprehensive, but listen... EA Motive is a very capable studio. I'm sure they can do a great job doing a Resident Evil 2 style remake of Mass Effect 1 where it feels and plays like the Dead Space you remember, but... Did I say Mass Effect? I meant Dead Space. It plays and looks like the Dead Space you remember, but it's really, really pretty and modern. It runs on the new consoles and has maybe some quality of life enhancements to make it feel very next-gen. It loads very fast, things like that, but like... I'm sure that'll be great. I'm sure people will eat it up and they'll be happy and everyone will be like, Dead Space is back. But I just feel like that's kind of a lazy approach, especially when considering the game's not really old enough or rough enough for it to need that. But then again, maybe I sound like a hypocrite because I've never played a Dead Space game. So I'm sure many, many of you have. It's another one of those Xbox 360 blind spots for me where I know probably a ton of you listening out there have played one of these games at least. And and can speak to it, but I'm pretty sure that I'm I, I'm I'm correct when I say Dead Space is a game that holds up very well from a visual standpoint, from a gameplay standpoint. You know, obviously, again, it's a game from 2008, so it's not going to be as pretty as fucking Forza Horizon 5, but it's 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 good. It's playable for sure, especially with especially you know, when you're thinking about Xbox, a console that's backwards compatibility and uh, auto HDR and FPS enhancement and all these kinds of things, frame rate boost, whatnot. It's like, why, why do we need this? So I don't know. I guess you could make the same complaint about the mass effect remakes, but those are, those are lighter remakes. It's all three in one bundle. And you could argue that mass effect one in particular is a rough game that actually doesn't hold up as well mechanically and kind of needed the port in the remake. So very two very different approaches coming from the same publisher with two of their very biggest IPs. I just I just don't know that this is the way you should do it, but nonetheless, I'll be in, I'll, I'll be up for it. I, I wish I played Dead Space. It's a game that's definitely in my my blind spot. So if this is a faithful recreation of the first one and, and, it, and it is what it sounds like it'll be, fine. I'll, I'll play Dead Space. I don't know. I just feel like there's a different way to go about this, but nonetheless. 
I know there's a lot of you who really love Dead Space. I'm happy for you. Hopefully this goes as well as it could. And then our next one, our next story here, it was an interview from gamesindustry.biz with Avalanche Studios uh, CEO on the recently announced Contraband Xbox exclusive game from E3. So it reads, um, the mo- a lot of this is, some of it's my writing, some of it's pulled from Games Industry. It's a lot of interview quotes, so let's just read through it. Developer Avalanche Studios, the team behind Just Cause series 2015's Mad Max, and most recently Rage 2, announced a new project during E3 2021, and, the com- and it's coming exclusively to Xbox. Contraband was shown with almost no information alluding to what exactly the project is supposed to be. But in an interview... This week with GamesIndustry.biz, Avalanche CEO Pim Holvith, can't pronounce that, Holf, discussed more about the project and how Game Pass is a huge boon for the title, saying, quote, We've had a great relationship with Microsoft, and working with First Party has been an intriguing experience as well. Seeing what that actually means in terms of support and getting closer to the hardware, it's a new type of partnership for us. We've had a fantastic partnership with Square Enix, Bethesda, Warner Bros., but those are not the same as First Party. Microsoft isn't the only First Party uh, Avalanche could have teamed up with, but Holf says that it made a lot of sense to work with Xbox on this because of the grandness of the project, adding that it's not a concept we would pitch to every publisher. Speaking with how speaking more on how Game Pass benefits games like Contraband, Holf says, quote, Our main key objective is to grow the user base, even if it's not directly in the case it's going it's going to be Xboxes, he explains. But we know that if we're if we grow the user base, we know that the money and revenue will come. The main motivator for us as a company is not to is not the cash, it's entertainment. We're entertainment we're entertaining vast numbers of people. Game Pass has been really great for us, especially if we look at our our self-published titles. Uh, The Hunter Call of the Wild helped us prove our service model in Game Pass was fantastic because we were able to reach so many more players. It's a good way for people to try the game since they have such a such a, since it has such a massive DLC catalog for that title. Over 20 DLCs, it's a beautiful way to get people in, engage with the content, and show the stellar game. Then people are really tempted to buy more. So the business model really worked for our, to our advantage. Call of the Wild has reached up to 7 million players and still averages around 1 million monthly active users even now in 2021 so far, nearly four years after it released. Holf reports that many of those players come from Game Pass, saying, quote, It's made Xbox way more important uh, of a platform than we ever initially thought. We thought the game's user base was going to mainly be on PC, so we're reaching that bigger audience. It's It's a different beast to design an Avalanche game for multiplayer rather than single player, where you only had to take one player into account. Our worlds are super reactive, so when you have three additional people reacting... Or making the world react, it can be a may- it can be mayhem. And then it goes on to say a lot more, saying about how they're designing the game specifically to take advantage of the Series X hardware, blah 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 blah. But first thing I want to do before we really get into the overview of the story is key on on one of those last things Holt says here. He uh, let me see. He says, let me read this quote again because I think this is a really important point. It's made Xbox a way more important platform than we ever initially thought. Referring to Game Pass. We thought that the game's user base was going to mainly be on PC, so we're reaching a way bigger audience, talking about Game Pass. This is a huge deal, because in the console sphere, you know, us us Xbox fans or PlayStation fans always like to dish it out, right, about Xbox this, PlayStation that, this one's bigger, this one's better. At the end of the day, it doesn't matter how many more PlayStations Sony sells than Microsoft sells Xbox. It doesn't matter 
how much cooler Xbox is or more powerful it is than PlayStation. Doesn't matter. The fact of the matter is the big markets are always going to be your PC market and your mobile market. Why? Because everyone's got to have a computer. Everyone's got to have a phone. These are these pieces of hardware that are gaming capable. They have storage. They have CPUs. They have GPUs. They have an ability to play video games. And these are the most important pieces of hardware because for someone to have an Xbox, they got to decide, I want to play video games. Let me go buy a box for video games. For someone to play PlayStation, same concept. For someone to play PC, you don't got to do that. You just got to have a PC. You got one for work. You got one for play, whatever it is. You got a PC because everyone's got one. You got a phone because everyone wants to text on the Instagram. doesn't matter if you play games or not. You have the device that can play games because you got to have it. And so that's the traditional train of thought, especially on games like this. It's like, this will be great for the PC player base because the pool of players is so fucking massive that the game doesn't need to be, does not need to be a Halo level, a Destiny level kind of success in order for the game to succeed because there's just so many people on PC. There's just so many people on mobile that the game can survive because even a small percentage of that user base from those platforms is still proportionally a massive number of players relative to dedicated gaming hardware like PlayStation, like Xbox, like Nintendo Switch. And so that's the conventional thinking. But what what he's saying here is that Game Pass changes the game in so many ways. It takes the focus away from... How many Xboxes have been sold? How many Playstations have been sold? Because now, you know, now it's your potential market is no longer just about how many of this piece of hardware are in the market. It's about how many players do you have the attention of? It's kind of like the free-to-play thing, right? Where it's like, where it's like, well, why do free-to-play games do so well? Because the barrier to entry is nothing. You just download the fucking game and you try it out. If you like it, you like it. If you don't, delete it and move on with your life. It's kind of what Game Pass does, but the difference between like Game Pass and like a free-to-play game on iOS or PC is that everyone with a Game Pass subscription is just inherently more interested in trying something new. So when you do something like take a game like Contraband, whatever it may be, and you inject it into Game Pass, you're not only saying, here's a massive pool of players that will give your game a try much like how PC players might try a game on PC just because there's so many PCs in the wild, or mobile gamers might try a game on mobile because there's just so many mobile devices in the world. It's kind of a similar thing, but it's saying all these people have Game Pass subscriptions, so they are actively interested in playing games. They're actively paying for the subscription service with the expectation that there will be new things to try, new things to sink their teeth into. So you give them a game like Contraband, a game that is multiplayer focus. Again, we don't know too much about it, but what this interview does reveal is that it's a very multiplayer focused game. It's very focused around new content, new added ways to play. You play the core experience and you buy shit. That's how multiplayer games are funded. We know that. Microtransactions, DLC, whatever the case may be. And so what he's saying is, Game Pass changes the whole narrative because even if there aren't as many Xboxes in the world as Playstations or Xboxes as iPhones or whatever... With Xbox comes this large install base of Game Pass subscribers that are just foaming and teething for more and more content. So you give them something like Contraband, and maybe that's something they traditionally be like, don't know about this game, I'm not going to spend 60 bucks on it and find out. But when it's free and it's included in this service that they're already paying for, and all you got to do is download the game and try it, and you put it in front of an audience of people that not only have the hardware, but are specifically interested in video games... 
you really hone in on a very specific market and a large group of people that are probably going to give your game a try. And I guess we kind of already know that, right? We know games are successful on Game Pass because it puts a lot of content in the faces of people who are interested in this content anyway, gives them a low barrier of entry to try the game, and then they like it, and then they either buy it anyway, or they buy DLC, and then the game makes more money, and the publisher's happy, right? We already knew that story. This isn't the first time we heard that. But this is the first time we've heard a publisher basically say, because of Game Pass, we're now able to look at the viability of the Xbox platform in a similar way to the way developers look at like the PC space. And that's really impressive considering that Xbox is a console that sells almost nothing when you compare it to the number of PCs in the wild, obviously. Because everyone in the world needs a computer. No one needs an Xbox. You just want an Xbox. It's a it's a luxury. It's not a it's not a necessity. And of course that's somewhat overplayed what I'm saying because Game Pass is also available on PC, so you know, obviously the install base is fucking massive because we're not just looking at Xbox, we're looking at Xbox, PC, mobile, because of xCloud, because of Game Pass. But I think it's a really interesting point here is they're talking about how, you know, Lethal Migraine always shits on me for this. Stop looking at console sales. Console sales don't matter, blah, 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 blah. Yeah, this is this is kind of the affirmation of, of that kind of statement in a, in a nicer way, Lethal Migraine. But yeah, it's basically saying that the in, the, in Game Pass is so important because it is this nice curated list of games it's manageable to fall to keep up with what's coming in what's going out you're paying for the subscription so you're already invested in the service you want to pay attention to it because that's your money going to work on it right and then we add these games in that maybe you're kind of interested in maybe not but again you're paying for the service you might as well try it you don't have to pay money to buy the game and it just immediately just adds so many more players so much more to your install base and so that's the big thing that's that's the big thing here is the way that he talks about Game Pass because it's indicative of the way a lot of publishers, a lot of developers, a lot of people are probably starting to look at Game Pass and its viability. This is what makes Game Pass a force to be reckoned with. It's not just because Microsoft bought a lot of studios, now owns a lot of first-party talent, and is going to put a shit ton of good games on Game Pass. Of course, that's a huge factor. But this is the this is the really dangerous part. It's not just all the shit that Microsoft can buy. It's the fact that now you have teams like Avalanche that aren't owned by Microsoft that could work with other publishers that are going, yeah, but why work with Square Enix or why work with WB or why work with Sony to make this new game that we're just going to have to charge people for that may or may not succeed when we could just go with Xbox, get the game on Game Pass, and then have a lot more assurance that's going to succeed because basically the way it works, especially if you're someone like Avalanche, who's not owned by Microsoft, is you don't have to worry about the development of the game so much because... The money Microsoft is going to... Microsoft's going to publish the game. So first of all, they're going to fund the fucking development of the game. And if it's like an Outrider situation, they're going to pay so much for the game that's going to help offset the development costs. So that makes developing and creating the game in and of itself a much safer and more reliable process. Then you think about the longevity of the game. Will the game have legs? Will it succeed? Will it fail? Well, now that's even more secure because Game Pass assures that it's going to have a market of people that that put eyes on it, right? Because these people are going to download this thing that's on this service that they're already paying for, that they're already invested in. They're going to give these games a try. And then inevitably with that, you're going to get some players. You can get an install base of some variety from that. And then from that, what what the data shows and what and what they're alluding to here is that you're going to get people who get really invested and stick around. And they start buying DLC and all that stuff. And then before you know it, you're going from 
you know, you're going from something like Battleborn, which just came out the gate, flopped, failed, and went away immediately, to something like Outriders, a game that should have flopped, that should have failed, that should have gone under the radar, but succeeded because of things like Game Pass. And I think that's really, really enticing a lot. And this is kind of what I was saying about Game Pass a while ago, is this is my favorite thing about Game Pass. It's not that Microsoft bought Bethesda and we get to do dunking points on PlayStation fans. It's not that, you know, I don't have to pay money for all these games. These are all great and fun and cool, but this is my favorite thing about Game Pass, is it offers financial viability for for developers and publishers to take risks, to make games that they otherwise wouldn't make because they would be afraid of whether or not it would succeed or fail. This is what I want to see. This is why Game Pass actually makes me excited. This is why against the odds and the conversations and the things I get conflicted about, is it is it sustainable, is it profitable, whatever. Above everything else, this is why I like Game Pass, is because I want people to make Weird games, experimental games, double A games, lower budget games, big games, like wonky games, games that think that this is for some X, Y, and Z or for some fucking reason good ideas for mechanics when no one's ever tried that before. I want to see a lot of that shit happen because Game Pass makes it a safer bet. And that's so cool. If we can if we it, it's like it's like having a it's like having a government-funded social safety net for game development. That's kind of what Game Pass is. It's 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 great because it, at the end of the day, we're all going to win. Developers get to be more creative and more daring and try new things, which is really important considering how incredibly samey and safe games development has become over the past ten to fifteen years. It means players are going to get really interesting, cool stuff. So there's going to be a lot more creativity going from the development side, a lot more interesting stuff for consumers to enjoy, more ways to get different people involved, and just also. I mean, we were just talking about the top of the show, and then again, the Assassin's Creed story. Who else is fucking tired of every game trying to be like, we're an open world sandbox, check this box, do this, 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 and this game that's going to last you 50 to 102 billion hours. Aren't we all fucking tired of that? Hasn't that been every game during the Xbox One generation? Wouldn't we all like a break from that? Game Pass is a platform that allows more people to make things that aren't that. So we can try something different for once. So not every fucking game we play is Assassin's Creed and Far Cry. So for once, we can do something different. And that's really exciting. That's That was my main takeaway from this art, this interview, although I know that wasn't the main through point of it. Um, I mean, it was about Game Pass, but there's also other stuff to glean on from, from here. We still don't know a, a whole lot about what this game is, but it seems pretty obvious from other reporting, from things that they go on to talk about in this interview. It seems like they're going to try to do something more like Just Cause, which is like a wonky, um, all these tools that interact with a sandbox type game with like destruction and crazy weapons and stuff, and then try to make it a multiplayer experience, a multiplayer co-op experience, which sounds very complicated, very ridiculous, and hard to pull off, and I'm excited to see what it looks like. So, that it sounds like that's what Contraband's going to be. Again, we don't really know. Um, I'm still not trying to get excited about this until we see some kind of proper reveal for it, but this is definitely a story I'm glad we got because it sheds light on some really important aspects of Game Pass, and it makes me a little more excited about a game that was recently announced with no fucking real purpose to it. So, this is all good. This is cool to me. I'm... I'm Big fan. Thumbs up. Thanks, GamesIndustry.biz, for doing all the cool reporting. Now, let's wrap up with uh, some games coming and leaving Game Pass. Speaking of speaking of our favorite service, so Xbox Wire reports a couple, um, relays a couple new titles c- coming soon to Game Pass. On July 8th, we got Dragon Quest Builders 2 coming to cloud. Tropico 6 coming to cloud console and PC. UFC... Uh, 
UFC 4 coming to console via EA Play. Then on July 15th, we've got uh, Blood Roots coming to con- console, cloud, and PC. we got Farming Simulator 19 coming to cloud, console, and PC. We've got The Medium coming to cloud. It's already been on console and PC. Now we're getting it. Or I don't know if it's been on PC. It's been on console. But now we're getting it via xCloud. And then we got a couple games leaving. So on July 14th, leaving from EA Play, we've got EA Sports UFC and UFC 2 both leaving console, which is fine because we're getting UFC 4. And then the next day on July 15th, we're losing Endless Space 2 on PC, Downwell on PC, and CrossCode on Cloud Console and PC. I've heard good things about Downwell. Might be worth checking out before that uh, that goes away, but probably not going to play my PC. Anyway, but that's a, that's going to do it for all of our news stories. Now let's jump into our important enough news, stories important enough to make the podcast, not quite important enough to warrant their own discussions, of which we have a small handful, so let's jump through those. First of all, coming from IGN's exclusive story, I love this. This is... Uh, this is in a story that will definitely convince you that games media are not eating out of the palms uh, of game publishers' hands, IGN has an exclusive story that Dice LA has officially been rebranded as Ripple Effect Studio, uh, saying following the uh, completion of Battlefield 2042, the company will go on to develop an all-new game unannounced project. The studio will continue to be overseen by Vin Sampella of Respawn Entertainment with Christian Grass continuing his role as studio general manager. Basically, the big story here is that this is going to go from a support uh, studio to an actual full-on developer. Thus, the name change to kind of reflect that, hey, we're a game developer. We're not just a support studio, so come work with us. Talent, be be aware of us. So, that's cool. Uh, Next up, some Destiny news. Windows Central reports that Destiny 2 developer Bungie is teasing Destiny 2's showcase livestream on August 24th, where the company... He's going to talk about some new Destiny content. Uh, an image they showed uh, teased some previously associated Hive leader uh, Savathun artwork. So the the rumor is that they're going to do the Witch Queen expansion, talking about that coming probably early next year. And then additionally, Bungie's also announced the return of the Solstice of Heroes event, which is like a a, a holiday that happens in, in the world of Destiny, usually around August. So or in the summer or whatever. So they have announced that that's coming back from July 6th to August 3rd. So I'll actually have to check that out. Obviously it's a free event. So if you want to jump in and you've never played destiny, all you need to do is complete the tutorial in order to unlock, you know, access to this event. So that, and then, Hey, doom eternal news, windows central reports uh, that id software announced an important update regarding the development of doom eternal. Thanks to the upset of the pandemic, the developers are scrapping their planned invasion mode, which was the mode where players got to play as either doom slayer or the demons, blah, 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 blah. It was like a, it was like a two V one isometric, whatever, some not isometric, but uh, I don't know, whatever kind of multiplayer mode. Uh, but instead, they're going to be doing a single-player horde-based mode, which sounds way more up my alley and way more in line with what Doom is. So I love this. So essentially, there may not be some kind of way to play as a demon in the game, but who gives a shit? We're going to horde mode. Uh, next, IGN reports that Rockstar Games co-founder and Grand Theft Auto writer Dan Hauser has seemingly started up a new video game company as spotted by Rockstar Magazine, a new company started in the UK called Absurd Ventures in Games, has recently been registered, according to a business listing. Dan Hauser is involved with Absurd Venture Games uh, as a director. Details about the new company are sparse, although 
Uh, the company was incorporated in the UK on June 23rd, so very recently, and is classified as a ready-made interactive leisure and entertainment software development company, so be sure to hear. We'll probably surely hear more about that in the coming years. And then our penultimate one here, GamesIndustry.biz, reports that EA have announced the departure of Frank Sagnier and Rashid Varashia uh, from their respective roles as CEO and CFO of Codemasters. The news follows EA's acquisition of Codemasters and its subsidiary Slightly Mad Studios, which was completed back in February. According to the company, Sagnier and Varashia departed or their departures from the studio were always part of the plan, but have been brought forward to speed by, by the speed of uh, Codemasters integration into EA studio. Uh, the pair will step down by the end of the month. And then lastly, Video Game Chronicle reports that Gears of War Studio, the coalition will be showcasing a new unreal engine five tech demo at GDC later this month. The talk is called alpha point and it's a demo on series X that will be hosted by the studio's technical director, Kate Rayner and technical art director, Colin Penty on July 20th at 1:20 PM Pacific time. The thing will take place. This is fitting of course, because Gears of War was created by Epic Games, the guys that make Unreal Engine, and since then, Gears of War has famously always been developed on Unreal Engine due to that history, so pretty cool. Maybe we'll learn a thing or two about the engine from there, which may glean on some kind of insight into what the next Gears of War game will have in terms of feature set or ability due to new engine stuff. And that's going to do it for all of our news and whatnot, guys. Now... It's time to talk about the new game releases of the month. These are the new games that are coming out this week. If I said month, but I meant week. These are new games. You can download them from the Xbox Store. They're not on Game Pass. They're video games, so fuck off and buy them. We got Blitz Breaker, July 7th. It's optimized for the Series X and S. Don't you just love when a game looks like it runs on that fucking Game Boy Advance SP, but it's optimized for the Series X and S, so you don't got to worry about um, fucking, I don't know, screen tearing and, uh, frame drops and just fucking, uh, anti-aliasing going, going AWOL. I don't fucking know. It's smart delivery title though. So that's pretty cool. There's a robot octopus that's happening. Indigo seven quest of love. comes out July 8th. It looks like it's a fucking pizza planet brick breaker. Probably gonna have to buy this. I'll probably buy everyone listening to the, the show a copy, so I really hope I have a low listenership. Uh, Crash Drive 3 comes out July 8th, optimized for Series X, optimized for Series S. It's a smart delivery title, and goddamn, does it actually look kind of cool. I don't know what it is, but it looks kind of cool. There is an ambulance car with an item above it. There are cop cars. It's cops and robbers. They're chasing each other. There's a train. It's like the Old West meets the New West meets uh, Wes Anderson. It's very Wes. And then there's Blue Fire coming July 9th. It's Xbox One X Enhanced. So it's Enhanced for a console that came out in 2017. We had a different president back then. But now, there's a new console. Came out in 2020. And we don't have an enhancement for that console because the game is good. It's enhanceable, but it's not that good. And you play as a little emo boy who looks like he's at a Donnie Darko, but he's got crystal eyes and swords on his back and he's very alone this is a game about being very very lonely beast of maravilla island comes out july 9th xbox one x enhanced another game that's enhanced for an old console which means basically it's a downgraded game it is a 
unfinished game. It is a shitty game for shitty gamers. There's a kid. They're in the woods. They're standing up at a tree. There's some exotic birds on the branch. They're looking down at this little kid like, why the fuck aren't you Xbox Series X enhanced? And the little kid's looking back at the birds and saying, I'm not good enough. But she's lost in the woods, so no one gives a shit. No one can hear her. And now thinking about how this kid's all alone and no one can hear them. If this tree happens to fall and no one's around to hear it, did it even fall at all? Who knows? Because that tree was surely not Series X enhanced. Imagine Earth comes out July 9th. Everything's coming July 9th. This is optimized for Series X, optimized for Series S, and it's smart delivery, which tells you everything you need to know. This is a next-gen game for next-gen gamers. This is the Mountain Dew in a can of of Earth of Imagine Earth uh, RTS strategy games. This is a game that is optimized for new can- consoles because the, develop- the developers have brains that are optimized for high concepts, such as optimizing your game for a modern piece of hardware. Now, by Q, Hundreds of Melodies comes out July 9th. This is also optimized for the new consoles. It is also smart delivery, but the photo given here is some kind of anime girl with cat teeth and cat ears, and there's some anime hand reaching out and touching this girl's head, and the, ha- the head and the hand touching the head are glowing with some, like, ash ambery glowy light color to it so i'm assuming this is a very weeby game with cats and other furry shit so even though it's optimized for the new consoles even though it's smart delivery doesn't mean it's smart to deliver this game to someone you love i would advise you don't get this game don't get tricked by the optimization for the new consoles because what it's not optimized is for a normal well-adjusted person and i don't recommend you you fall down that rabbit hole Pardon the furry pun. That's going to do it for all the new games coming out this week. You guys, seven new games. I'm sure you're going to buy none of them because you got Game Pass. But goddamn, there's seven new games that you can buy or not. It's a free country. Games with gold, guys. Here we go. It's July. There's new games. This game's with gold. There's only one of them that's worth a damn. It's called Conquerors Live, Live and Reloaded for a Day. It's called Planet Alpha. It's available all month long. You can get it. Rock of Ages 3, Make and Break. It's available from July 16th to August 15th. Go for it. Conquer Live and Reloaded. I'd never heard of that shit. It's av- it's available now until the 15th. And then Midway Arcade Origins available from July 16th to guess when? July 31st. That's right, guys. You did a good job. You did a good job. That actually might be worth downloading as well. But with that said, guys, that's all the content for this week's episode. I want to remind you one more time. I'm not joking. I know I'm usually just a sarcastic ass white, but... I genuinely am excited about this Twitch thing, and I really hope we can make this work. It's going to go one one of two ways. I'm either going to be incredibly surprised by how many of you are actually interested in hitting follow on my Twitch. That's Twitch TV slash Lightning Mixstream. Twitch.tv slash Lightning Mixstream. I'm either going to be really surprised by the number of you that want to that want to be a part of this and want to make this happen. Or I'm going to be really fucking embarrassed for the next eight months while I'm begging you every week on the show to please follow me on Twitch while we're like crawling slowly, like 22, 24, you know, followers trying to hit 50, which is such a modest, low, easy, low hanging fruit goal, but probably going to be hard for me to reach. So guys, don't embarrass me. Don't make me feel bad. Don't make me look bad. Just go out of your way twitch.tv slash lightning mixstream we're gonna do what you want we'll play halo uh, multiplayer as a team we'll play community q a we can have a night where i just i just put the camera on my hot wheels collection and show you all my my die cast we can talk politics we can talk theme parks 
We can talk about uh, the cologne I used to wear in middle school that they don't make anymore. Anything you guys want to talk about. We'll do a Twitch stream about it. It'll be a lot of fun. Really looking forward to doing it. It's twitch.tv slash lightning extreme. And for updates on when I'm going to be streaming, things going on with the podcast, I know I, I always shy away. I hate when people plug themselves in podcasts. It's always a little cringe for me, so I don't do it. But... I got, I got, I got to buckle down and start, start taking myself a little more seriously. So if you want to keep up with updates, what I'm doing with the podcast, what's going on with Twitch, where we are with things, you're going to want to follow me on Twitter. That's where I talk about that stuff, even though no one really pays attention to me in that corner. It's kind of a little embarrassing, but it's uh, at Jesse DeRosa on Twitter. So follow me there. If you want to find the place where I'm really talking about nothing of value, that's Instagram. That's I think at Jesse underscore DeRosa. That's really just pictures of food I'm eating. So that's actually really unnecessary. But Twitter, at Jesse DeRosa, twitch.tv slash lightning extreme. Let's make this happen. Let's get to 50 followers, not subscribers. No one pay me money, just followers. Let's make this happen. Let's play some Halo together. And until then, how are your dreams? Peace.